Hey, everybody. In case you missed me earlier, my name is Kent Woodrow. I'm the associate pastor here at Holy Cross. Um, hey, if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to the book of Colossians. Uh, we're going to be studying chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, we've got the text printed for you in your bulletins. It'll be projected on the screen back here. Um, but if you don't own a Bible, we've got some on the back table over there. And uh, we'd love for you to grab one and take it home. Um, it's our gift to you. We believe this is very important. I believe this is the word of God himself given to you to give you life. And so we'd love, if you don't have this, we'd love for you to have a copy. Um, so we got some on the back table there uh, if you need them. Hey, uh, while you are turning to Colossians chapter 3, this, this little letter that exalts Jesus first, only, and always, uh, let me ask you this question. Who's your favorite influencer? Some of y'all may be like, huh? Uh, but really, like, who is your favorite influencer? Who, who's the person that you follow? Um, do you have any idea how much money they make telling you to buy their kind of water bottle? Or, or their preferred tool or their go-to makeup brand? Or, hey, here, here is the best vacation site, like, ever. Okay? There, there's a huge market in, in our world right now uh, for folks who want to tell other folks, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. I, uh, I know I have the secret for what's best with whatever, fill in the blank, right? I've got to figure it out. Come do life my way. Come do life my way. Hey, is that you? Are you hungry to hear from somebody who's, who's got it all figured out? Are you hungry to have somebody that you can pattern your life on in the hopes of like, maybe, maybe you'll get the same sort of success, right? If that's you, then I have an invitation for you. It's the invitation in our passage today. Come do life the king's way, King Jesus's way. That's our invitation in our passage to do today. Uh, this is the invitation extended by this man named Paul, who himself had experienced the richness of doing life the king's way, and now he wanted this little church in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. He, he was telling them, "Hey, come do life the king's way." That's our invitation today. So would you stand if you're able and willing? That's our habit here. Out of respect as we together read the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter three, starting in verses one, going through verse 17. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, or in these, you too once walked. In these, you too once walked. When you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. 
Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you have been called into one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, this is the true word of the living God. And he gives it to you because he loves you. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word, It is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It is like unquenchable fire. And we cannot come before it and be unchanged. And so, Father, I pray that you would move, that you would guard our hearts against being hardened to what you say. But instead, let us us be moldable, pliable, shapeable. Because, Lord, we, we are here to see you, you who are glorious, you who are beautiful. And, Father, we are here to be shaped in your likeness, that we might both know you and become more like you. So would you use these next few minutes to do that, Lord? Speak, your servants are listening. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. All right, hey, there's there's a lot going on in our passage and we're not gonna be able to touch on all of it. Um, But just really broadly, Paul, who's who's this first century Christian missionary uh, and an influencer before there were influencers, all right, uh, he's got three instructions that he is giving to those who would do life the king's way. These are the three things he says. Keep perspective, verses one through four. Kill the bride killers, verses five through 11. And then cultivate love, verses 12 through 17. Because as Christians, those who are the king's people, who belong to him and, and, and do life the king's way, we are called to keep perspective, kill the bride killers, and cultivate love, okay? So, uh, we're gonna start with keep perspective, not just because it's what comes first in our passage, right, in verses one through four. We gotta start with keeping perspective. We gotta start with what these verses tell us, because otherwise, if we don't start here, we are going to wreck ourselves in the verses that come after, okay? Because we will either run away in despair from the king's ways and what he has to say, or else we're gonna use them to, to try to feel good about ourselves and say, well, I, I think I measure up. And neither of those things are the king's ways, which is why we've gotta start with keeping perspective on the story, the king's story. All right, so 
What is this story that we're talking about here? It's the one that Paul has been telling the Colossians, retelling over and over all through this letter, and we have to start here. It's the story of King Jesus, the one who is the image of the invisible God, uh, chapter one, verse 15, the firstborn of all creation, who made all things and is remaking all things, the one who rules over all. He is the fullness of God who fills his people, chapter two, verses nine through 10. He's the one who took on our sin our rebellion, our brokenness, our wrongness. He's the one who who died in our place, nailing our trespasses to his cross. uh, Chapter two, verse 14. And and burying them so that we would never see them again. He, He was the king who was killed so that rebels could be invited into his kingdom again. He he's the debt servicer who swallowed the debt that his debtors owed, that we could never pay. And in conquering death, King Jesus triumphed over his enemies, chapter two, verse 15. So that there is nothing and no one who can challenge him. All must bow before King Jesus. And as his people, everyone who belongs to him, who's one of his people, we're with him. That's chapter two, verse 12, right? We are, we're united with him so that whatever is true about King Jesus, it is what is true about us, right? That's why we don't need the disconnected ritual, the disconnected worship, disconnected purity. We have the substance, chapter two, verse 17, right? We have the real thing. We have the king. And so what is true about him is what is most true about us. He died to the dark powers of the world, then so did we. He sits enthroned in heaven and new life in purity, and so do we. He, he is the victorious king of chapter three, verse one, that we, we just read today, then so are we, right? We will, we will sit enthroned in heaven with him. He will appear one day in this eye-watering glory and beauty, then so will we, chapter three, verse four, right? What is true about King Jesus what is true about us, right? That's the story, friends. That's the king's story, the one that he is the hero of. And that's a story that he makes us a part of too, you and me, right? Because see, so far in this whole letter, what have you and I done to contribute to this story? Nothing. Nothing except be the ones who are in the jam in the first place. Nothing except be the ones who need rescue and saving. Nothing except be the ones who need to be found. The ones who need to be made whole. Hey, why does this matter? Because fundamentally, Christianity is not about you and what you do or don't do. The reason we say this Right now, before we get into the rest of the the passage, is this. Because we are inclined, I think just in general as human beings, we are inclined to, to look at what comes next in these verses and say, that's my ticket to purity. Say, if I do these things, then I get into God's favor and his grace. And Paul this whole time has been saying, he's done it. He's done it. He has made you pure. He has brought you in. He has done everything. That's where we start. We start with him. 
We start with what our king has done, right? Because our story is about Jesus. Jesus first, Jesus only, Jesus always. It's about the king and everything he has done to make us his because that is the king's way, right? To move toward the needy and give them what they need. That is what our king does. So that's the perspective. That's the story. That's what we're, where we start. And now, out of that, out of that story, we get to live the king's way. It is our, our glory, our privilege, our honor to live into what we were made to live into. Not because we have to, not because we're trying to measure up, but because we get to. Because we are now freed to be all that he made us to be, to, to lean into everything that uh, we're supposed to be. We, we get the joy and privilege of living the king's way, of doing life the way he designed life to work, of being everything that we were created to be, right? Of having our purpose renewed as God's image bearers. Because think about it, right? Think back to the beginning with me. What was the point? What's the point of us, human beings? When God first made us, we were created to reflect him, right? We were created to reflect him, to mirror God, to imitate our king. We uh, were to reflect his goodness to others and to his world. And now, even though our first parents rebelled against that, you and I, as those remade in Jesus' image, in the king's image, brought back into being one of his people, we get the joy and the privilege of being one of the primary ways this world gets to experience God and the world as he made it to be, right? We get to be like these little windows into heaven, these little glimpses of shalom, the world as God intended to be, these tastes of what God has made human beings for and what he intends to restore everything to, the wholeness that he is bringing back into this world. And in doing all that, we also get to say, look, Jesus gets all the credit. Jesus gets all the credit. Don't look at me. Don't look at, Jesus deserves the honor for what he is doing in and through my life. Renewed purpose, friends, that is glorious. And it's hard, right? It's glorious that we get to do this, and it's hard. Why is it hard? I'll give you one word. Distraction. Distraction. It is easy for us to lose sight of our story and to lose sight of our purpose, right? And, and Paul gets this, too. Look, look at verses uh, 1 and 2. Uh, he, he uses these words. Uh, he's got a couple of imperatives, which are commands, right? Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. Those are intense words. It's like to search out, to, to examine, to ruminate over in your mind. Uh, they're in the present tense and also communicate kind of this ongoing aspect so that you're supposed to seek and keep seeking. Set your mind and keep setting your mind, right? Here's why this matters because you and I were so quick to distraction. We're so quick to get caught up in the little mundane details of our lives, the ups and the downs, uh, which, which Paul calls, uh, verse two, the things of earth, right? The, 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 our little preoccupations. And we lose perspective easily on the eternal story, on our purpose, right? 
Hey, you ever, uh, you ever been on a trip where everything just kind of went disastrously wrong? And by the end of it, you're just thinking, I just need to get home and be with my people. I just need to get home and be with my people, right? You do not care how comfortable the airline seat is. You don't care what their movie options are. You just want to get home and be with your people. That's Paul's point. That's Paul's point. Friend, your home, if you are a Christian, your home is with Jesus. Your home is with Jesus. Your very life, Paul says in verses three and four, is Jesus. He is the one who matters. So we don't need to get distracted. Distracted from our story and from our purpose. We are headed home to be with him. And so we seek and keep seeking our Jesus, the one who is our very life. We let him and his story shape how we understand ourselves and how we do life in this world and our purpose, how we follow the king's ways, right? And so as Christians who belong to the king and we do life the king's ways, we begin by keeping perspective, keeping perspective on our king's story and on his purpose for us, right? And living the king's way means we kill the bride killers. All right, a couple, couple of words before we get into this. Does the word kill sound fairly dramatic, right? I get it, like it, it, it sounds a little, it can sound a little harsh, but it's the very term that Paul uses, right? Verse five, put to death. And it just, that just goes to show how seriously Paul takes the things that he's about to mention. See, because you and I, we may read verses five through 11 and think to ourselves, I mean, most of this doesn't seem too bad to me, right? And there might be that one thing that I struggle with, but, but surely it's not, it's not a big deal. But it is. It's a big deal. You want to know why? Um, because to Paul and to King Jesus, the, the things that are listed here in this passage, uh, they're not just, they are, they are life-threatening cancers, have to be cut out, right? They are, they are traitorous enemies that have to be done away with. The question is, do we see them that way? Well, why would Paul, why would King Jesus see it that way? Because these things are things that threaten the integrity and the well-being, the wholeness, the life of that which is most precious to Paul and to King Jesus, Jesus' bride his church, his community, his people. Hey, look, uh, I know I don't look like much, right? But I can tell you something. You threaten my bride, you'll see what this not much can do, right? Because here's the thing. You threaten my Anna. If, If it's a cancer in her body, a threat to her safety, I'm going to do everything within my power to go against that. That becomes the enemy, right? Because she's my bride. That is how King Jesus feels about the things that threaten his bride that are listed here, the bride killers. See, these aren't just benign personal issues. 
There are things that affect the wholeness, the integrity, the well-being of Jesus' bride. They kill his church. And so he takes them very seriously. Okay. So now let's, let's look at these actual bride killers. Uh, there, there are three categories of, of sins that we see listed here. We can break them down broadly. Uh, first are sexual sins, verses five through seven. Sins of the tongue, verses eight through nine. And then the sin of superiority, verse 11. Okay? So let's start with sexual sin. This is the, uh, the one that could be uncomfortable and the one that for some reason everybody thinks this is what Christians major on all the time. Um, it's not true, but it does matter. It matters a ton. Let's talk about why, okay? So Paul, look, look, at, look at the list in verse five here, okay? Paul isn't leaving anything out. Like he, he's not just concerned with using our bodies for sexual acts that God didn't create them for, right? He's, he's also concerned about our sexual thought life and about our, our sexual, our emotional sexuality too. So evil desires, passions, right? Here's the thing. We might think, I'm not hurting anybody, they don't ever have to know. This is just like all in my head, right? But Paul's point is sexual sin is sin. It still is sin, even if it stays in our heads, right? Um, any sin, sexual or otherwise, doesn't just affect the sinner. It slops over. It affects the community. That, that's the insidious nature of sin. I may be the one sinning, but it doesn't just affect me. It affects those in community with me, right? Um, here's, here's one way that we see this. Uh, look at the, the tail end of verse five there. Paul mentions covetousness. Are you surprised to see that kind of in a, in a list of sexual sins that ends with covetousness, right? Why do you think that is? Here's why I think. Um, because in the 10th commandment, covetousness is the last, the last thing mentioned. And one of the things that the Bible says you shall not covet is your neighbor's wife, right? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Sexual sin in the church and elsewhere starts with coveting someone that's not yours. Starts with saying, um, I, I, I can let my mind dwell on that person, right? It, even though I shouldn't, and they're not actually mine in the first place. In fact, Paul goes on to call this idolatry, later on, which is a huge deal because an idol is something that turns you away from God. It's something that you turn to instead of God to meet a need, right? And idolatry in the Bible is never just an individual personal issue. Idolatry always affects the community, the community. And so for me to just let my mind wander a little too far with somebody else, uh, it steals me from King Jesus and it affects his bride, the wellness, the wholeness, the well-being of his bride. Okay? Um, look at verse six. Paul doesn't pull any punches, right? He, uh, he, we may not like to hear this in our day and age, but we say it because it's true. God takes all sin seriously, especially sexual sin. Um, well, all sin. Um, he takes it very seriously, and, and one day he will come to show just how seriously he does take uh, sin. On the count of all these things, the wrath of God is coming. Right? He takes very seriously the sins we commit against the bodies of other people. 
you want some good news? Because we've all blown it. We all have blown it in this room. That's why we need this next verse. All right. Look down at uh, verse 7. In these you too once walked. Guys, there is nothing that is done today that wasn't done back in Paul's day. In fact, maybe even worse in Paul's day. And though people who had sinned in horrific sexual ways were part of the Colossian church. People who have sinned in horrific sexual ways are part of our church. We've sinned and been sinned against. Here's the good news, right? Our Lord is in the business of forgiving and restoring those who have sinned, even sexually, especially sexually. Hey, listen, if you are the Lord's, then he himself comes to you and and he carries your guilt. He takes it, he takes it off of you. That thing that you're way down under, he has taken that from you. That shame that buries you, he has borne it himself. He has clothed you with his goodness and his dignity and his righteousness. Look, he, he lifts your face. He lifts your face and he says, you are mine. You are my bride. You are clean. He does that. And then he invites you, come, come do life my way, the king's way. And find everything that you were looking to sexual sin to provide for you, find it in me. Let me satisfy you. So that's what the Lord says. That's the category, the first category that Paul mentions, sexual sins. The other category of sins that Paul mentions, and we'll have to work through these quickly, um, are sins of the tongue, verses eight and nine, all right? So that includes things like using your tongue to give vent to your anger, to tear people down, or to actively deceive others, to fill the air with words that don't uh, reflect reality or the world that God has created this world to be, right? Hey, friend, do you realize your words are a powerful gift? Your words are a powerful gift. There is no other creature but those made in God's image that have the power of language the way we do. The ability to create or destroy with words. That's very godlike, by the way. Um, so here's the question. How are we using that power? Especially here in the church, right? What, what kind of words do we speak either about Christ's bride or about people within Christ's bride. Okay. Um, see, the, the king sets his face against sexual sin because sexual sins harm his, his family and they make his people feel vulnerable in his community. Words that we use do the same thing. They can harm people within the king's family or make them feel vulnerable in the family, right? Uh, so, and the funny thing is, for as much as, uh, for as, much as Christians get the rap about kind of like hammering hard on sexual sins and so forth, I think sins of the tongue, they're probably a lot harder. Uh, we find a lot more of those in the church. We tend to give ourselves to those things. So here's the question. We, we could go on and on. There's all sorts of stuff we could unpack with this, but I just want to leave us with this question. Okay? Are we, as the king's people, using our words the king's way? 
Are we as the king's people using our words the king's way? How does the king use his words? To breathe life into you. To make you more like him. To draw you to himself. Are we using our words to do the exact same thing with each other? All right, so the final category of sin that uh, Paul lists here is the sin of superiority. Where do we see that? Verse 11, okay. Uh, In the church, there is no ethnic superiority. That's what Paul means when he says Jew or Greek. There's no religious elite, circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no outsider or untouchable. That's barbarian or Scythian. There's no high or low class. That's the slaves or the free. What matters most about any of us, about any person who walks through that door, is their relationship with Jesus. How are they connected to Jesus, right? Jesus is what matters. Jesus and him alone. He is our king. And he has made us part of his family, his bride, his people. Hey, you know why Paul had to say this? Because people are people. And if in our day we were prone to schisms and divisions and all that sort of, people in Paul's day were prone to the exact same thing, right? Uh, at the very least, um, whether or not they were feeling senses of superiority to one another, at the very least they were being told by the ethnic Jews in the area, you're a subcategory of Christian. You're a subcategory of God's people, right? And Paul's saying, that's not true. You follow the king? We're all one in Christ Jesus, Right? Um, so here's the question. Here's where we dig into our own hearts a little bit. Hey, Christian, who's your other? Who's your other? Who do you feel a sense of superiority toward? I'm going to sit on that question for a bit. Because <laughs> I, I believe the Lord will bring someone to mind. I don't know why. Because we're all in the same boat. There's nobody in this room who doesn't have somebody that they feel superior to. Who's yours? Who do you feel superior to? Who makes you feel like, well, I'm a better Christian. I'm a better person. Who's the Lord drawing to your mind? Who do you feel superior to? Here's the thing, right? Uh, You may feel that about somebody else. Odds are somebody feels that about you, right? Um, What's the answer? What's the answer to that? When you realize how far our King Jesus humbled himself to make me, make you part of his family, we got no business feeling superior toward, toward other people, right? When you know the depths of your own heart, And how deep the rebellion in you runs. When you see what Jesus has saved you from. I can't point the finger. Y'all, there's nobody in this room worse than I am. You want to know why? I don't know your story. I don't know everything. I know mine. I know my story. And Jesus saved me. How can I be superior toward anybody? There's no room for superiority in God's family because we all know our own sin and we all know how great a savior we have. That does away with any sense of entitlement and superiority that we might have. 
All right, so as, as Christians who belong to the king and do life the king's way, we keep perspective on his story and, and on his purpose. We kill the bride killers because they're Jesus' bride and we're trying to avoid anything that brings harm to his people, those threats to our wholeness and our unity. Um, but being part of God's people, the king's people, and doing life the king's way, it doesn't just stop with the things that you cut out of your life, right? With the things that you, uh, you, you put off, as Paul put, says. It's about putting on, too. Primarily, life as one of the king's people, life, doing life the king's way, it's about cultivating love. Cultivating love in two directions, toward others and toward the Lord. All right, so let's talk a little bit about cultivating love toward others. Um, hey, love isn't this set of warm fuzzies that you feel kind of vaguely, generally in someone's direction, right? Love instead has very practical implications, the kinds of stuff that Paul talks about in our, in our passage. Uh, let's look at verses 12 through 13. See, love means living with an eye outside of yourself toward the rest of King Jesus' bride. It looks like having concern for the misfortunes, the, the hardships, the difficulties of others. That's what is meant by the word compassion there. It looks like engaging with others out of a sense of their worth and their dignity without, without any sense of having to use them in some way or other to like prove something about us, right? That's what's meant by kindness, humility, meekness. Love looks like happily choosing to overlook people's quirks, peccadilloes, those annoying idiosyncrasies, right? That's what's meant by patience. Because y'all, uh, unless, unless you've met everybody, we're all weird and quirky. And I might not think so about me, but you get to know me, you're going to find all my weird quirks and peccadilloes. We can't do this if we're not doing life with love toward one another and allowing, like just being patient with other people. You wanna eat broccoli at every meal? You're weird, but I'm gonna bear with you, okay? Love looks like choosing the hard road of forgiveness when a person actually substantially wrongs you. That will happen in this church. You will be hurt. You will be substantially wronged because you are in a community with other sinners. Still in Jesus' image, working, like the Holy Spirit's at work in us, making us more like him, but you're going to be hurt. And when that happens, we forgive one another. We, we release what we otherwise might think is our right to hold wrong over somebody else, right? Love is costly. But you want to know why we do all of this? It's not because King Jesus' people, well, you know, they're just worth it because we're not. It's not because King Jesus' people um, stir the warm fuzzies in you, because odds are we won't. We live this loving way toward other people. This is what our passage says. We live in this loving way toward other people because the love we show is the love we've been shown. Friend, the love we show is the love we have been shown. Look at verse 12, right? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved friend, friend, before the beginning of time, our God chose us. 
He set his love on us. He made us holy. He set us apart for himself. And and if that's what's true of you and me, how can I look on you with anything but love, right? Look, I may not like you. In fact, our personalities may be so different that we just don't like see eye to eye and so forth. But you know what? I will still love you. I'm called to love you. You ever had, uh, you ever wonder when you see other people in, in God's family and be like, I just don't know what Jesus sees in them. <laughs> just be honest, right? We think that every now and again. I just don't know what Jesus sees in them. You know what? One day he'll give you the eyes too. To see them as he sees them. Noble, glorious, made perfect in his love. He didn't love anybody in here because we were lovely. But his love makes us lovely. And as we do life together, we will have eyes to see that. To see others the way our Lord sees them. Which is why we forgive one another, right? Um, Because, again, verse 13, we forgive because we know what it's like to have been forgiven. And so if we're Christians, then my relationship with you isn't defined by you, and it's not defined by me. It's defined by our king, because he is what defines everything anyway. We love one another because we love our king, and we love what he loves. And you want to know what he loves more than anything? Look beside you. That's what he loves more than anything. Are the saints in this room and around the globe, he loves his people with the, with the passion that a bridegroom has for his bride, right? All right, so here's the thing, though. It is hard to cultivate love, isn't it, it among, among each other? Uh, it's hard to cultivate love for those in the king's family, which is why we need to cultivate love not just for one another, but for our king, for our Lord. See, the only way that Jesus' peace and unity, verse 15, is going to last in Holy Cross or in any church, for that matter, is because we're doing this. We're gathering every single week to remind ourselves of our mutual love for him, right? It's because uh, we're gathering, verse 16 and 17, to, to let his word dwell in us, to sing his praises, to shape our hearts, uh, again, with gratitude and thankfulness to him uh, and, and for him and for the story that he has written and all that he has done. Look, it, it's only as I am in community with you, worshiping my Jesus, and I look over and I see you doing the same thing, that my heart is warmed toward you because you are worshiping my king, the one who I love more than anything else. And that makes me better able to set aside our differences because it's about the king. It's about him and his mission and his honor and his glory. What matters most, period, is the king, right? All right, hey, as we wrap up, I just wanna ask you this question. Isn't the king's way just glorious? Isn't this glorious? Like, think about it. If life were truly this way, would that not be glorious? The way that he has intended things to be, the way that he calls us to live, right? Imagine 
if this were the world that he used us, that we got to be a part of helping to create, to, to, get, to get to be a part of this world even. See, a world free from sexual hurt and objectification, a world where image bearers weren't used for their body but honored because of God's image in them, right? A world free from wor- words used to destroy, to tear down, to, to cut down, to mislead. Instead, a world where every word would only serve to build up the image of God in somebody else. A world where compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace were the tenor of the day. What we could expect out of every single interaction with each other. Friend, sounds good, doesn't it? You want to know why? Because that's the world you were made for. That's the world the Lord calls you into, right? It's the world the king invites you into, a world that we have the privilege of modeling to one another into the outside watching world. It's a world where Christ is all and in all, where, where lives lived the king's way point us all to the king himself, our Jesus, who is first, only, and all. Let's pray. Father, all of this sounds beautiful um, and totally outside of our grasp to do unless you move. Lord, you have written us into your story. You have, you have invaded our lives. And so now, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would now empower us with your power that we might live the king's way, that others might see Jesus and honor him. And we pray all this in his name, amen.